This is Just for Sport. Jamoke Davis here with you on Thursday, our usual spot, Mondays and Thursdays at noon. Thank you very much for joining us here on the Props Network. We're live streaming and on a podcast later on during the day. You'll hear it if you're not hearing it right now as a podcast. We're here for your viewing and betting pleasure. If you're watching live on Twitch, YouTube, or Facebook, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. If you listen to a podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. Leave a review. But we're on Google, Spotify, everything else. We got a great show for you today, as usual. A lot of games to get to. A lot of games. It's very difficult for me to get it down to a Fantastic Four in the NFL for my picks this week, but I got it. I know exactly what I'm going with, and I'm ready to go there. We have a special guest joining us on Just for Sport, Monica McNutt, former Georgetown Hoya basketball player and now one of the hosts of MSGAM. That's for Madison Square Garden. She will be joining us on the show. Looking forward to talking to her. Got to get in the New York state of mind because we're not going to just be talking about the Knicks. We're going to talk Bills, Jets, Rangers, Islanders, get into a little NHL. Like, when are they ever going to have a season? But, of course, we'll talk some basketball, some Nets and Knicks as well. Um, So, I am something new we're going to do. I am always curious how I did, how we did. Bo also makes some picks as well. So, uh, Bo, how did we do with our picks on Monday? I hope we did well. Uh, It's not always easy, but um, you got to give it to me straight, Bo. Well, you know, you were helped out there in, in the Baltimore game. You had them. You had them to win and cover. And of course, they get the cover on the last-minute safety. I'm sitting there holding a Baltimore <laughs> uh, defense special teams anytime touchdown score. So I was hoping that they were gonna, you know, come up with the ball in the end zone there and the scramble at the end of that game against the Browns. But instead, they get the safety and the Ravens cover. You know, points <laughs> very, very handily. Right, never in doubt. Never in doubt. What a crazy swing in that game. I was really surprised. I was more than happy. I was more than happy to accept the fact that um, the, you know, I had to win on, on a last second safety. Who knew what was going to happen there um, with the, with, I don't know, how many laterals, like five or six laterals they had in that game. I don't know. I was jumping up and down wondering you know i figured okay i'm I'm not gonna get it although i thought i had it at i thought i had ravens minus three not three and a half but still bottom line is you know a lot of money changed hands with that safety there's no doubt about that but now we move on to week 15 in the nfl we've got a thursday night matchup between the chargers and the Raiders, the Raiders. Now, according to NFL.com, and I'm going to go through a lot of these statistics here, the Raiders have a 23% chance of making it to the playoffs. And unfortunately for Las Vegas, they were kind of in the driver's seat, and then they lost three of their last four games 
since a three-game winning streak. They looked good. And then all of a sudden, they don't look good. And of course, you go to propsnetwork.com. You can see all of the NFL live sportsbook odds and scores. So if I'm looking at the odds, they opened at a minus one, a plus one. That's kind of a push for me, kind of a push for me. But now you can get the Chargers at plus three as a consensus. You can find that on DraftKings, FanDuel, Bet Rivers, and Unibet. You can get the Chargers at plus three, Raiders at minus three. That's where you are now. Chargers offense ranked eighth. Raiders ranked 14th. Chargers defense ranked ninth. And the defense for the Chargers are ranked 25th. My thing is, the for the Chargers, the last game they played, the Raiders won by five, 31 to 26. Chargers have been snake bitten all season. I can't even count. We're not even going to go into all of the ways that they end up losing a game. It's just one of those unfortunate things for the, the Chargers. They're 4-9 on the season. Las Vegas Raiders are 7-6. and six. The Raiders are allowing, allowing the third most fantasy points per game to running backs this season. So from a fantasy spotlight, you can think about that. But the Raiders' defense has allowed 37.5 points per game since week 11, most in the NFL since week 11, which is not good. The Chargers are 3-7 and seven in one-possession games, tied for most such losses and games. It's just a disaster. It's a disaster with the Chargers after letting Phillip Rivers go in many ways, trying to put it on them, on him rather, as, as if it was Phillip Rivers' fault that the Chargers were doing so poorly what was then in San Diego. Now they're in Los Angeles. Like I say, we're in Los Angeles last year, the last season with Phillip Rivers. Um, but you never know. The Chargers are 9-20 and 20 since 2019. Only Detroit, the Jets, Jacksonville, and Cincinnati have a worse record in that time span. The Raiders are averaging 26.9 points per game, their most since 2002. That was the year they lost the Super Bowl to the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Chargers have only won two games in their last seven. This game is at 8.20 p.m. tonight on Fox. It's on Fox. The Raiders have gone two and four straight up, three and three against the spread at their new stadium. And uh, in my mind, in my mind, I think it's an easy game. I think you pick the Raiders to win and cover over, under, I'm going to take the... Over, I'm going to take the over at 52 and a half. I'll take the over there. All right, so let's move on to my Fantastic Four. Now, my reason for picking this Fantastic Four is it was hard for me to cut down the number of games. I had seven total. And I looked at those seven and I said, well, you know, the funny thing about those seven games is four of the seven games involve the NFC East. So in my mind, I said, and by the way, before I forget, I'm excited in case you don't know. This football on Saturday, we got Bills Broncos at 4.30 on Saturday and Panthers Packers Saturday night, 
So just want to get that out there in case you didn't know, right? Whatever city you're in, I know where I am, it snowed. I may be snowed in, maybe just here watching sports today, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday. Well, you got football on Saturday, tonight, Saturday, and Sunday. But I digress. So I said, you know what, my Fantastic Four, the NFC East. And one of the reasons for that is because that's where I grew up. I grew up following the NFC East more than any division in the NFL. But also the fact that I was always so proud of the NFC East, and you can go back and do this homework yourself. Uh, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but it was something that um, I put down somewhere, but I forgot to pull it up. The NFC East almost has been represented. I'm going to say, I think it's at 44% of the Super Bowls. An NFC East team has represented the NFC East Conference. That is spectacular when you think of these four teams that everyone has destroyed. The Washington football team, Giants, Eagles, Cowboys. Oh, the NFC East is awful. Well, if you look long-term, it's been the most dominating division. And actually, the crazy thing is you've got the Washington football team, which I am most excited about. They're six and seven, sitting atop the NFC East. The Giants are below them at five and eight. Eagles at four and eight. Cowboys at four and nine. And my thing is, when you look at this, the Cowboys still have a shot. Not a good one. And based on NFL.com, they're saying they don't have a shot or it wasn't worth at least putting in the stats. But they're not completely out of it. Washington's run won four in a row. Eagles won in a row. Cowboys won in a row. Giants have lost one in a row. And we'll talk more about the Giants with Monica McNutt of MSG AM, who's going to join us later in the show. She will join us later. And I'm really looking forward to talking with her. But if we look at the first game, we're going to start with 49ers at the Cowboys. The 49ers have a 13% chance of making it to the playoffs. So this is it for the 49ers. This is it for the Cowboys, too. I mean, the Cowboys don't really have a shot, but at 4-9, they're close. But if they're... If they win, the Cowboys win. That game is at 1 o'clock on Sunday on CBS. The Cowboys will be 5-9. 49ers will be 5-9. There's still a shot there. The 49ers offense is ranked 16th. Cowboys 12th. Defense 49ers. Defense is ranked 5th. Defense for the Cowboys is ranked 23rd. I just don't know what you're going to get in this game. Who knows what you're going to get in this game? 49ers, according to NFL.com, have a 56% chance of winning with a projected score of 26.2 based on the analytics expert Cynthia Freeland on NFL.com. Freeland? Freeland. 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 Dallas is averaging 17.8 points per game with Andy Dalton as a starter this season. It was 32 with Prescott. So, of course, many of the things, the issues that are happening with Dallas is because there's no Dak Prescott. There's no Dak Prescott. That's what you're dealing with here. That's an easy way to look at San Francisco and Dallas. 
the Cowboys and 49ers opened at Cowboys were plus one. But now the consensus is that they're at plus three. You can get that on DraftKings, FanDuel, Bet Rivers, and Unibet. They're at plus three. San Francisco is five and eight against the spread. Cowboys three and ten against the spread. Man, that's that's tough. That's not good. But the Cowboys are seeking their second straight win, hosting the 49ers. The Cowboys are 0-7 straight up. 1-6 against the spread in their last seven games coming off of a win. It's kind of crazy, huh? But, but, the over. It's been the over in, in the six of the last seven games against the 49ers at home, which is a stretch. I don't like getting to any of the research that goes into any of the previous seasons. And yet, it's kind of weird that you see a trend there, and it's 6-1, and one, but the teams are different, right? Teams are different. That's what you want to say. Forty-niners are five and eight straight up, and against the spread on the season. One and five straight up, and against the spread in their last six games. Dallas is fighting for their playoff lives. Washington holds the head-to-head and the tiebreaker. Should by the end of the season there be a logjam, or the Dallas, who's at the bottom, somehow get tied with Washington football team who's at the top. You know, that's kind of beautiful, right? Washington won both games against Dallas. If you're a Washington football team fan, you're happy, which I am. So I am happy. But I just don't see it. Both of these teams are not very good. Not very good at all. But I think the fact that the game is in Dallas, I think that Dallas will win and cover. I say take Dallas. No, no, no. Well, no, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I take Dallas to win. I'll take the points. I'll take plus three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to take the under. I think both offenses are struggling. I'm taking the under. Not very good offenses here. All right, next game, we've got the Seattle Seahawks at the Washington football team. The 9-4 and four Seattle Seahawks against the 6-7 and seven Washington football team. That game is at 1 o'clock on Fox. Opening line had Seattle favored at minus 3.5. They are now favored at minus 5.5. This is the, what, the seventh time that Seattle has come from West Coast to East Coast? I think I got that number right. I think I got that right. I don't know. I, that that kind of concerns me a little bit. I'm not quite sure what you want to do there with, with this game. You've got the sixth-ranked offense in Seattle against the 30th-ranked offense 
in Washington, but it's been like it's been a magical season, right? Can't can't you say that? Is there anything wrong with saying that it's been a magical season? I mean, no one expected Washington to beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh. No one expected Washington to beat the 49ers in San Fran. No one expected Alex Smith to come back and play the way that he has, right? It's just been a magical season for Washington. So why can't you see the magic continuing for them? Well, because they're playing the former league MVP and Russell Westbrook. But I'm curious to see what the fourth-ranked offense in the NFL in Washington can do against the 27th-ranked, excuse me, the fourth-ranked defense can do against the sixth-ranked offense. But Seattle's defense is ranked 23rd, which isn't good. That's not good by any stretch. Washington is six and seven straight up, seven, five, and one against the spread on the season. Seattle's nine and four straight up, seven and six against the spread. Washington is playing for their playoff lives, their playoff lives, and they're in the driver's seat. But the margin is so slim. It's so slim. They cannot afford to lose another game. They can't. Now, Technically, Seattle can't either, but Seattle has a 96% chance of making the playoffs and Washington has a 64%. So even if Seattle's like, you know what? If we lose, we lose, but we're still good. We're still going to get in the playoffs. And in many ways, that's what matters is getting into the playoffs. Russell Wilson has averaged 88 rushing yards per game versus Washington, most versus any opponent, including the playoffs. And I remember a playoff game, RG3 versus Russell Westbrook, where Russell Westbrook looked like the MVP. And RG3, unfortunately, was hobbling along when he got hurt in that game. And some say he shouldn't have played, should have played. I'm going to call it RG3 gate. Pete Carroll's won six of eight head-to-head matchups against Ron Rivera, including the playoffs' most such wins versus any opposing coach for him. Washington is one of three teams to have four players with five-plus sacks this season. Just giving you some, some food for thought, you know, about these games. Just a little tidbit here and there that you can think about. Alex Smith may not play. Now, some might say an injured Alex Smith is better than Dwayne Haskins as a possible starter. But that's, that's going to be a game-time decision. And I'm going to have to make a tough call here. But I think when you look at this line, I think Washington's playing at home. playing for their playoff lives in this comeback player of the year season for Alex Smith. Let's hope he comes back for this game. But I'm going to take Washington to win and cover. I'm going to take Washington to win and cover, and I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take the under. 
Okay, Eagles at Cardinals. If you remember, the Cardinals used to be in the NFC East, which is crazy, but they used to be. How wild is that? You've got two teams here that, again, are fighting for their playoff lives, and that's what I love most about what we have here. The Cardinals are 7-6. and six. Looking up at the Seahawks and Rams, probably not going to catch them. They're two games back, but they're playing for a wild card. They're playing for a wild card against the Eagles. The Eagles have an 18% chance of making the playoffs. The Cardinals have a 64% chance of making the playoffs. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But no game is a given when you think of these teams uh, every week. You just don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know what's going to happen. Now, this game opened up. They play Sunday at 4.05. This game will be on Fox. The game opened up at Cardinals. The Eagles, rather, favored minus one and a half. But the shift, as Bo brought up, Bo brought this to my attention. Now the Eagles are plus six. How did that happen? They went from favor to, yeah, they're going to lose by almost a touchdown. By almost a touchdown. You wonder why. The Cardinals are seven against... Seven and six straight up on the season. Six and seven against the spread. It's Jalen Hurts against Kyler Murray. Uh, both of these players went head-to-head in college with the Sooners for Kyler Murray in Oklahoma for Jalen Hurts. The Eagles are four, eight, and one straight up. Five and eight against the spread. And they have a title. They have the NFC East title within their sights. But that line moving around has been, I would say, probably the one game that's moved the most from the opening line to today. And it may move even more by the time we get to Sunday. Most likely it will. Well, as you said, except for the Jets-Rams line. Oh, Jets-Rams. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, I guess in many ways. You're right. You're right. I did say that, too. But – Jets-Rams went from plus 6.5 to plus 17.5. But I'm surprised that line even started at plus 6.5. It should have just been at 17.5. But, yes, thank you very much for reminding me of that, Bo. You got the 26th-ranked offense against the 4th-ranked offense in the Cardinals, 14th-ranked defense versus the 12th-ranked defense. I'm taking the Cardinals. I'm taking the Cardinals to win this game. Um, and I'm going to take them at minus six. And do I take the over under? Oh, boy. What do we take there? At 49 and a half, I'm going to take the over. Neither one of these defenses, they're middle of the pack. Rushing offense, ninth for Eagles, fourth for Cardinals. I'm going to take the over. I'm going to take the over. All right, last game here, Browns, excuse me, Browns, Giants. Browns have a 75% chance of making the playoffs. Giants have a 20% chance of making the playoffs. And, again, this is another thing that we'll be talking about with 
Monica McNutt from MSG on nine, uh, AM, excuse me, MSG AM. I can't talk right. Um, but the show streams at eight o'clock and you can reach, you'll see uh, a repeat at nine, 10 and 11. But that's the next game coming up. That line between the Giants and Browns opened at minus one and a half for the Browns. And it's now at minus five for the Browns. Oh, that was a great game between the Browns and Ravens. That really was a great game. And I don't know if this game is, it's at the Giants. And the Giants defense did play well, shutting down Russell Wilson. It's at MetLife Stadium on NBC, 820, Sunday night game. The we you could take the under the Jets the Giants excuse me are five and zero in their last five against games against AFC opponents or I guess there have been five unders excuse me the Browns are five and eight against the spread. Daniel Jones is back for the Giants. I think the fact that it's in New York, I am taking, I'll take the Giants there. I'll take the Giants at plus five. And the, over, I'll take the over at 44. So there you go. Those are my fantastic four. I'm taking the Giants. I'm taking the Giants at plus five. I'm taking the Cardinals at minus six. I'm taking, Bo, what did I say? Oh my gosh, I'm free. Cowboys. They're going to lose. I'll take the 40. I'm taking the 49ers minus three and the Washington football team at plus five and a half. Yeah, you're taking the whole NFC East except for the Eagles cards. Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, we're going to take a quick break for a couple minutes. We'll come back and we're going to talk college football and college basketball with Bo. On the other side of the break here, we got a lot of games to get through. Then we'll have Monica McNutt. She'll be on at 1245. So we have to quickly get through some of these games or we may just do uh we may just do college uh maybe just college football. But Fred Payne here as as I get into the chat here. He says Chase Young has the team hype, 49ers, easy money. He said, if I pick all your games right, will you sign Arkansas Fred? So I'm going to do a read here, and then we're going to write to college football. Here we go. BetMGM is a new online sportsbook that is taking over the online betting nation. Not only does BetMGM have some of the best odds on all the major sports 
but they also offer some of the industry's strongest weekly promos. This week at BetMGM, you can get a free $20 in-play wager when you bet $50 or more on any live NFL game, or you can get up to $100 in free bets in the free-to-play pick-three first touchdown NFL touch, NFL challenge. Excuse me. And as always, you'll get $10 in free bets in the Money Monday Club. But that's not all. Right now, BetMGM is a special signing bonus for the Props Network listeners. All you have to do is create a new account at BetMGM and use the code JUSTSPORT20 to get a 100% match on your first deposit up to $500. That's right. Just enter code JUSTSPORT20 and you get $500. You must be 21 or over to bet online. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER today. Thanks again, Fred, for your comments. Sorry I didn't get to them earlier. My apologies. But thank you very much. He says the Raiders will win. Oh, my. Okay. He said it's easy money. All right. Okay, let's switch to college football. Bo, we got a lot of games coming up. I don't even know where to start. But. Championship weekend. It's championship weekend, and I'm very excited about it. In the game that I said, I don't know where to start, because first I said, hey, I really, you know, obviously I'm going to focus on the ACC, Clemson, Notre Dame, number three versus number two. That is the matchup I want to sit down, and I'm watching that from start to finish, not jumping around. That I mean, that's the that's the premier matchup. Of that is. You want to start there? Sure, why not? Why not? Clemson, 10.5-point favorites, over under 60.5. 86% of the money so far on DraftKings, that's on the over. These teams scored, I think, like 40 points apiece in overtime in that matchup in South Bend earlier in the season. Betters apparently think that they're going to be up in the similar region again. It's going to be a really fun matchup. You know, I think a lot of the um, you know talk has been, look, Clemson wasn't full strength when they went up to South Bend and lost. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how they match up in, in Charlotte this weekend. My thing is, I think this is a big revenge game for Clemson, and I don't know if Notre Dame's ready for it. There was too much celebration as if they were going to the, <laughs> the BCS championship game after beating Clemson earlier in the season. And I think that Clemson's going to come out and put a hurting on them. That, that's where I think this is headed. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's interesting to kind of get into the dynamics with both teams right now, just because Notre Dame is still going to have. They're going to still going to be, you know, talking about how they have a chip on their shoulder because they're trying to prove that they can play in a conference. They're trying to prove that they're not just going to go to the playoff and get beat down like they did in 2012 in the BCS game against Alabama, like they did a few years ago against this Clemson team um, in the playoff. You know, they, they want to prove that they're for real, that, you know, they're a real competitor and a real kind of top of the top tier, you know, blue blood program. I don't think anybody's disputing that with Notre Dame in terms of the status of the program. However, in terms of, you know, how they compete on the national stage, I think that's been called into question a lot. And I think that win over Clemson in South Bend was the first step there. But this is the one they really want to get. I'll be impressed if they do win this game. Um, you know, like I said, Clemson more than a ten-point favorite here. Uh, I'm I'm leaning towards Notre Dame in the points, but I think that Clemson wins. I think that it, it is going to be a little bit of a close game here. I think it. 
I think it will be a close, close game. I think I'm going to take Clemson to win. Notre Dame will cover. So yeah. I think that they will cover. And over under, I'll take the over. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually leaning towards towards the under here. I think that, um, yeah, uh, I think you know Clemson's defense is getting a couple pieces back um, that they didn't have in that game, of course, that we've talked about already. But I think that also um, Notre Dame didn't have the easiest time scoring against Clemson. I think if you go back to that last game, they scored on you know one of their First two drives, I think, and then they scored on their last drives, and then they scored in overtime twice. Mm-hmm. So that they were pretty much held scoreless in the middle of that game, and so I think that Clemson's going to have an opportunity, you know, in the second and third quarters to really stretch their lead and really open things up. But I do see as well Notre Dame kind of getting a late score and making it a little interesting down the stretch, maybe a little bit of a backdoor cover there for the Irish at ten and a half point dogs. Okay. All right, next game up, number 14, the Northwestern Wildcats against the Ohio State Buckeyes, the number four team in the country. Everyone already said, hey, you gave Ohio State a break that maybe they shouldn't have. Northwestern, who lost a heartbreaker to Michigan State earlier in the season when they were undefeated, they get a second chance to get back into the BCS. This opened at, oh my gosh, Ohio State was favored at 20 and a half. Yeah. They kind of stayed there. It's up to 20 thoughts. But I mean, this is, again, I think that this is a big, um, this is a big line. You know, I don't think anybody's going to deny the fact that. Ohio State is probably three touchdowns better than Northwestern, but Northwestern's defense has come to play at certain points this time this year, and I think probably the best um, defense that Justin Fields and Ohio State have faced this year so far has been Indiana, and they picked off Fields twice. Um, they kept that to a one-score game. I don't think Northwestern is quite as good as Tom Allen's defense there for the Hoosiers, but I do think that. Northwestern is going to make this a little more of a ball game than some people think. I think Ohio State covers eventually. Like I think this is, again, they blow it open kind of down the stretch in the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter. But I think, you know, maybe I don't have the line in front of me. Maybe like Northwestern spread first half. If it's less than two, if it's, you know, more than two touchdowns, like 14 points, I'd probably take them in the first half. Um, and I do like the the under here. Um, yeah, I'm going to stick with the under here at 57 and a half. Um, Ooh. Actually, okay. I'm trying to do some math in my head. I'll probably lean <laughs> over there. I'll probably lean over there. Um, Northwestern's offense, I think, has always been the big question, right? There with Pat Fitzgerald. It's never going to be, it's never been doubted that they can play defense. It's just whether Peyton Ramsey can move the ball enough on offense to keep them going. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I do think, like I said, that Ohio State's going to score some points in the second half, and I think they will um, contribute to the over-hitting. Um, look, like you said, people are saying that Ohio State was gifted a spot in the Big Ten championship game. As much as Clemson and Notre Dame both have chips on their shoulders, have a little something to prove, so does mm-hmm. Ohio State. They want to prove that they're playoff worthy. That's the whole reason they're playing this season is because they believe they're a championship contender. And so they're going to come out and try to prove that against Northwestern. And, you know, 
with the big picture, maybe it's a good thing because I don't think Indiana's playing this week due to COVID concerns. So we probably have ended up with like Penn State somehow in the in the championship game. Oh gosh, it would have been awful. Well, not awful because also we went to Pitt, not just because it's awful. But oh, I'm taking Ohio State to win. Uh, I will take them to win and cover. I don't see Northwestern being any kind of a challenge for Ohio State. And I also think Ohio State, uh, to our point about chips, I think they have a chip on their shoulder to say, hey, we belong here. We can't help it if we couldn't play that sixth game. We would have won. Don't pretend we're not one of the top four teams in the country. And we're going to show you that we're one of the number four teams in the country, the way that we put a hurting on the Wildcats. So I'm going to take Ohio State to win and cover, and I will take the over. All right, the next game that we have up, let's go with Alabama, Florida. Now, for this game, I am, mm, I just feel like some of the luster is gone with Florida losing to LSU. And I feel like I am degrading Florida way too much with that loss but they opened at a plus 14 the line you can get it at plus 17 uh plus 17 and a half on DraftKings. bet rivers at plus 17 unibet at plus 17. what are your thoughts on this game and am i right that in many ways florida if they had won that game this line would be a lot closer that maybe people think, okay, they have a chance to upset Alabama or no. They may be ranked seventh, but they're nowhere near the level of of talent that Alabama has. Yeah, and I think if you look at the numbers, the public generally agrees with you. 84% on DraftKings are on the tide to cover even at 17 points. I think that, you know, we talk about the chips on the shoulders of Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. Alabama doesn't have a chip on their show. They just know that they're better than you. They're going to come out and they're going to beat you into the turf because that's what Alabama has done this season consistently. They've done it basically through every game. Their closest game was against Georgia, and I think they won by more than two touchdowns there and pulling away late in the second half. Florida, again, I think this is going to be kind of similar to Northwestern Ohio State in a way. I think Florida might keep it close. But, look, Kyle Trask had a chance – you know, I think we talked about this a little bit on Monday. Kyle Trask had a chance to cement his Heisman chances, to cement Florida's playoff chances in that loss to LSU, and he didn't make the plays they needed to make. And if you can't do that against Bo Pelini's defense for LSU, then you're not going to be able to do it against Alabama. Kyle Trask has looked very good all season. He did not look spectacular against LSU, and Alabama's defense is much more talented than what he saw from the Tigers in the swap last Saturday. I think that if you look at someone like Mac Jones, who last week we talked about, maybe he's not. You know, there is more competition for him to win the Heisman, especially if Trevor Lawrence plays well. We know that Mac Jones has to have a dominant game leading Alabama. Alabama's 10 0 straight up on the season, 7 0 against the spread in their last seven games. I am taking Alabama to win and cover, and I'm going to take the over in that game. I um, think, what's, the, what's the over there? I didn't write that down. I am taking the over at 74. Oh, my. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I think it's, I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. 
I could see it being you don't think you don't think so? 74 in an SEC championship game. I don't know, Jamoka. If might- I'm doing the math, we're talking like what 40 what's that 41 to 34? 134 if Florida covers. Yeah. That's too much. All right, I'm changing. I'm going under. All right, you sold me, Ben. I'll take under. I'll take under. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 48-21, Alabama. Okay. Okay, 48-21. All right. Next game that uh we have Cincinnati against Tulsa. Another one of the teams that's gonna be upset that like how are we not even in contention to be a part of the college football playoff. But you're just not a big five, right? And we have a monopoly. You're just not a big five. Yeah, and I think this is you know, the perfect, you know, the epitome of everything that's wrong um, with the college football playoff right now. You saw the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference come out and say, look, let's just go back to the DCS because this clearly isn't working. The playoff was supposed to open the field up. The playoff was supposed to remove the biases of the BCS computer program. Instead, it's just, you know, perfectly amplified all of the power five biases of the committee, especially when you consider the fact that, look, there's no group of five representative on the committee. Mm -hmm. All of the athletic directors, all of the coaches, everybody that makes up that committee is from a power five school. Mm -hmm. So I think it just makes sense that there is that inherent bias towards the power five, I still think it's just completely ridiculous that, you know, Iowa state moves up without playing. You have coastal Carolina dropping you have Cincinnati dropping because they didn't play the, the way that some teams are rewarded and some teams are docked for the exact same things is just completely absurd. But this is the college football playoff in 2020. This is the college football playoff trying to factor in all of these crazy different happenings in college football and I think it's very much proving that it's maybe not the best system, maybe not the perfect system that we all thought it was when it was first instituted a couple of years ago. I think Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina should just go play somewhere, declare the winners the national champions. <laughs> <laughs> Cincinnati Bearcats are at minus 14 and a half. They opened up. That line has gone down to Bearcats being favored at minus 14. Tulsa, Tulsa's a decent team. You know, they're top 25. They've competed throughout the season. Um, I, I think Cincinnati's tired. You know, I, I'd i probably take Tulsa to cover here, maybe a little bit of a backdoor too. But I think Cincinnati, I don't know if they're going to be able to wear the chip. I feel like the theme of today is a chip on the shoulder, right? Who has something to play for? Who's going to have the motivation in this championship weekend? And I think Cincinnati's going to be hurt a little bit. I think it's going to be up to Luke Fickle and up to that Bearcats team to – you know, kind of not find themselves caught up and look, it doesn't matter what we do because the committee ain't helping us out. And, you know, I'm, a, yeah. I'm afraid that that's going to kind of hold them back this week. I'm afraid that they're not going to be able to kind of put away those doubts, put away the whispers in their own ears and put away this Tulsa team. And I think the Golden Hurricane have a chance to cover here. Cincinnati are 8-0 straight up, 5-3 and three against the spread, have averaged a 26-point margin of victory this year. I am going to take Cincinnati to win and cover, and I'm going to take the over at 45. I like the over there. I do like the over. 
All right, last game here. We've got number 19, Louisiana, against number 12, Coastal Carolina. What is that mascot again? <laughs> Coastal Carolina, what will they do? There's no chance they're playing. They're going to be in the playoffs, although I'm sure they would like to say they have a shot. But in general, we've got a, a team here that they seem to in some ways be a darling of the country, the yeah. Chanticleers opened at minus four. Now they're at minus three. Who you got? All right, give me, give me coastal cover. Coastal to cover. Easy. Jamie, okay. Chidwell, Jamie Chidwell. I came on here earlier this week. I said he's going to make a lot of money somewhere. Instead, he signs. He's he was the lowest paid FBS football coach this year. Oh. Lowest paid. He's making three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. He just got himself a contract extension up the buyout for Coastal, upped his salary to one of the top in the Sunbelt Conference. It's a win-win for both. When he moves on probably next year, maybe the year after that, Coastal Carolina gets a nice little check, and he gets you know a little more nice little salary bump in the middle. And then he will leave at the end of the season. But good – I'm, I'm glad it was a Cinderella season for the Chanticleers. I'm going to take them to win and cover, and I'll take the over at 55. Thanks, Bo. On the other side, we'll get to some college basketball here, but we got Monica McNutt coming up on the show from MSGAM. She's one of the co-hosts on that show, so I'm looking forward to having her. We're going to talk everything. We're going to be in a New York state of mind, folks. That's what we're going to be in. The Props Network is a place where bets begin. No, the Props Network isn't a sports book. It's where smart bettors and new players go before the sports book. Why? Because the Props Network has a few things that all bettors need. Exclusive sign-up bonuses, reporting on weekly promos, free betting picks, and live odds comparisons for every game. A visit to thepropsnetwork.com before placing a bet guarantees that you'll be wagering with the best available bonus and getting the biggest possible payout if your bet's hit. But the Props Network isn't just another bonus site. We've also got great content. Follow the Props Network on social media, YouTube, and Twitch for updates all week from me on Just for Sport and the rest of the Props Network team. Get ready to bet with the Props Network today. You must be 21 or over to bet online. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER today. So coming up on the show, we've got uh, someone that um, is a colleague of mine. We have both had times that we were covering the Wizards side by side. We, uh, she played for the Georgetown Hoyas, and after her playing career was done, she got into the television business and has made a career of her for herself as a college basketball analyst, uh, covering uh, multiple schools, but mostly the ACC. And I am glad to have her on the show here. She is the co-host of a new show, MSGAM. Hi, Monica. How are you doing? Hey, Jamoke. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I, oh, and you're so festive. Yeah. What, what? Oh, my gosh. What What was going on? I didn't even think to get dressed up. You look very nice. Uh, and, and everyone is having to get used to finding a way to make their home look like a, a studio, so to speak. You've done a good job. Uh, uh, 
you know, there was an article that came out about what's behind people. What did you decide to put behind you? So it's a, actually a funny story. I would not have some of this Georgetown stuff up. I mean, not that I'm not proud of it, but I graduated in 2011. And so for me, the self, you know, the little shrine to myself is a little not quite what I love. But uh, you mentioned the show, MSGAM. The team is like, no, it shows your personality and your credentials. So leave it, leave it, leave it. Um, so yeah, like they, I did get to decorate for the holidays. They weren't quite expecting it. December 1, I was like, here we go, guys, adding some holidays. <laughs> How much do you enjoy MSGAM? And I would say in you know, when my time work from my time working at Monumental, I enjoy kind of working for a team or working within an organization that has teams in your case, in my case, in Monumental versus working as a media member. How has that been different for you? What do you enjoy most about MSGAM? So I think I enjoy what do I enjoy most? One, we're having a blast. My co-host Kazim Femuide is a true New York guy, like bleeds blue and orange, roots for the Jets, like cuts no cards. Um, I think what's unique about our network, we'll call it in terms of MSG, obviously partners with the Knicks and so on and so forth, is we have access, right? Like we yeah. have access. And of course, Jamoka, you know, when you work for a team, you never are you trying to badmouth the team, which we obviously aren't. But I think it's cool for us to kind of be on the ground floor, particularly this year with a change in leadership. And we kind of see the potential and we can discuss it and even acknowledge the areas where we have plenty of room for growth. So I think it's been cool. Obviously, there's always a line. You know how it is when you work within the organization. But I think the access and the honesty, even within the same organization, is pretty refreshing. Like, you got to call a spade a spade. Yeah, um, you do. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things for someone like yourself, play-by-play, analyst, whatever it is. Like, you got to kind of toe that line. In towing that line, uh, let's start with the New York Knicks. <laughs> okay. what, what can we possibly expect from this team this year that is a very young team that I will say, you know, one of the other, I guess we call him a colleague of ours, Michael Wilbon. I remember hearing him on a podcast talk about one of the better destinations for James Harden could be a New York Knicks. I heard him say that too. To kind of, you know, get that team in a better place, in a more, uh, in, in a quicker turnaround, so to speak. And I will just say, last week I said, my rookie of the year, my prediction, Obi Toppin. So, okay, love it. What, you are not alone in that assessment of Obi Toppin. We had Fran Fraschilla on with us for AM. We had Jeff Van Gundy on this week. And both of those guys who have seen plenty of basketball are really high on his potential. And I love, Fran pointed out, who do we draft in the lottery based on their defense? For everybody that wanted to point out Obi's defense, defense, whether they like it or don't like it, Fran was like, that's not why we draft lottery players, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so here's, here's my deal on the expectation. I think this year under Thibodeau, you can expect this team not to beat themselves, right? I heard Wilbon on the Harden thing. I got to be honest, Jamoke, I did not love it Ooh. because I think – my spiel, and folks look at me, you know, doe-eyed, whatever they want to call it. My spiel is Madison Square Garden, New York City, the Knicks brand still holds so much weight. Mm -hmm. The new leadership, whether you talk about um, Payne, Wes, Thibodeau, all of those guys, I think they are really trying to build something. 
And you and I have seen it from being in D.C., particularly when you think about the football team. When it's time to build, everybody has to get on board, right? Yeah. yeah. I stand by that with the new leadership and the brand that New York still is and today's athlete, it's only a matter of time. Because guys are so much more than just basketball players these days, and they look forward to building their brand and being in positions where they can grow as businessmen and not just basketball players. Now, ultimately, how an organization is run obviously attracts free agents. And I think that the Knicks are beginning to move in the right direction. So for me, my expectation this season is for them not to beat themselves. Are they going to be world beaters? Are they going to be a playoff team? I would love to see it, but I'm going to be honest. But I would expect them to grow in terms of establishing what it looks like for Thibodeau to run this organization as a head coach and them playing defense, playing hard, and not beating themselves. I like that they have a veteran in Austin Rivers to Mm -hmm. kind of help guide the ship. I love Alfred Payton, uh, Julius Randle, the draft pick Emmanuel Quickly, Kevin Knox. The player that I want to see take the biggest leap though in his sophomore season is R.J. Barrett to really put this team on his shoulders. Can he do that? I think he can. I think RJ's, I know that he has talked openly with us in the media about feeling slighted about not making the rookie teams last year. But mm-hmm. as big as a brand as New York is, RJ played his college ball at Duke with mm-hmm. Zion. Like, it did, you know what I mean? Like, lights don't phase him. I think, if anything, as a part of life, there's always a curve. And even if you want to look at his teammate in Zion, he wasn't healthy his rookie year. That's mm-hmm. his curve, right? Curves can look different for different people. But I definitely think RJ can take the next step in his game. If he knows and trusts that Thibodeau is going to be there, he's going to be able to grow with Toppin, who they expect big things out of. He's been compared to Amari Stoudemire, which I think is a fair comparison. And the kid is willing to work. Um, I think Julius, I think Nerlens Noel is going to be secretly an X factor to me because he's a guy mm-hmm. that plays his role, runs the rim, rebounds, block shots. Very simple. Um, I think Thibodeau molding RJ I think back to last year before the, the MSG AM launched and we were doing a show called MSG 150. And I asked Jay Billis, what's the most underrated part of RJ's game? And he actually said RJ's ability to defend. So for me, that coming from Jay Billis, who we respect, now coming from Pluto, who hangs his hat on defending and getting guys to play hard, I think it's a no-brainer that RJ will take the next step in his game. Uh, let's hope so. And um, I'd love to see if the Knicks make a big leap and get into the playoffs. I don't know if that'll happen, but... You know, they have a young nucleus that I'm sure, you know, every team wants to get into the playoffs, but I like this team on paper. Yeah. And let's see I, what I, they can do. I agree with you, Jamoka. And I think it's a clean slate. I, the other part that we've kind of discussed on the show, and I actually just had Ava Wallace uh, with me on a podcast. Oh, Ava Wallace. We love Ava. Um, I think Will's going to switch, a, turn a switch where the empty arenas turn from a negative to a positive, especially mm-hmm. for young groups, whether mm-hmm. it's literally being able to hear your coaches or whether it's being able to play freer without boisterous fans that love or hate you, whatever the case may be. So I'm excited to see. I know this is a weird year, but I think the experience that this young group will gain will still count as we move and look toward the future. Uh, Speaking of the future, and let's switch to football, should the Jets lose all 16 games? And my thing is, I'm okay with that, but I actually wonder if they're going to end up trading because you talk about the bright lights and R.J. Barrett is used to it. It seems like Trevor Lawrence doesn't want the bright lights. Who wouldn't want to play in New York? I don't I don't get what's with him, but I also feel like for the Jets, I can't believe that they almost have to lose out because I'm drawing a blank. Yes. The Jets could lose all of their games, but there's another team that only has Jaguars. one win. Jaguars, yeah. right. So it's like 
you really have to just lose out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it's been the weirdest thing for me covering, working in New York covering that because my partner, my co-host is literally celebrating. He calls himself the tank <laughs> commander. He celebrates every single loss. And I'm like, these are professional athletes. Like I remember being a collegiate athlete and you you play to win. Like, yeah. you hello, you play to win the game. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, that's been really interesting. I don't know. I have not covered Clemson closely at any point. I don't know Trevor, but from what we read, he seems to be a guy that is driven by faith and all that good stuff. I, I have a hard time actually fathoming a world in which he goes back to Clemson. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, 2020 has taught us that lots of things are possible. Um, I think if I were talking to Trevor, I would encourage him that Adam Gates most likely will not be there. Mm -hmm. I think if Joe Douglas stays in a management role, he has this opportunity to get it right by you and get it right by the next head coach hire and make some things happen. I also think that while this is the next step of his career, if, God forbid, God forbid it didn't work out with the Jets, I would hope that he could be the guy, the cornerstone to turn that franchise around. He's got so much talent that I think he would have multiple lives in the NFL, barring injury. So yeah. um, to me, as a competitor, as the leader that I see, I have seen him be, I would imagine that he would want to grab this thing by the bullhorns. Look, Jamoke, we've seen some rookies do incredible things. I think about um, Joe Burrow before the injury. Like, he was on pace to set all types of records. Justin Herbert with the Chargers. And even though the Chargers stink, nobody is denying Herbert's talent, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Even what he's been able to do in spurts in Miami. So, as a competitor, I think you get excited about an opportunity to be the guy that helps turn this thing around. And then, you know, he's into his faith. I'm on my knees praying that the right decisions are made. <laughs> the players drafted. So, uh, it's definitely something to see. I do think that there is some talent within that organization. Marcus May um, on that defense. Makai Becton is a guy that they're really, really excited about on the line. Um, th there's some things there. And, and I, I've heard positive things about Joe Douglas uh, in terms mm -hmm. of that leadership. So I'm hoping that they put together the brass. Uh, they need to interview Lewis Riddick, I would imagine, for some position within yeah. that organization. <laughs> I hope that um, smarter football heads prevail as they look forward to the 2021 season. I'm just amazed at when you think of how all of these athletes also are thinking about their brand, how can you not in any way think about, oh, I'm, I'm going to be in New York. Yeah. Like how could how could you not want that as a brand? Like that, like you you're in the in the media market. Yeah. And uh, one thing I, I will say that I've noticed, even fans interacting with me on Twitter, you know, they see you doing content now. That fan base so incredibly loyal. And I know yeah. there are other organizations that have struggled and are just starting to turn a corner. Um, even you talk about the Jets tanking, the Browns tanked in 2017, and look at them now. So mm -hmm. I think if you become the guy. Like, you know, this summer, the talk about Carmelo Anthony's willingness to play in New York um, came up. If you become the guy, then you'll forever have an incredibly loyal fan base. Yeah. Uh, and that also means that Sam Darnold will no longer be the guy in that case, too. The Giants. Daniel Jones is back, but they only have a 20% chance of making the playoffs. Do you see them somehow... Uh, without Saquon Barkley finding a way to to sneak in there, I I don't see it with this team. This but Jamoke, this is when my heartstrings are torn in half. I make no bones about being a Washingtonian at heart and rooting for my team. Um, so whenever we talk Giants, I always got to throw in my Washington football team. That's right. Here's the deal. I expect them to beat the Cowboys. I think they've got the Browns. I forget the second game, and then the Cowboys left on their schedule. Yeah. I expect them to beat the Cowboys. 
something wonky could happen with the Browns just because they're coming off this emotionally taxing, historical Monday night affair. I wouldn't put it past them, particularly if that defense plays the way they played against the Seahawks. But I, the other, you got, you can't have an isolated conversation about the Giants without talking about the whole division, yeah. right? Like Washington's defense is turning heads. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think the most recent report as of Thursday at one o'clock was that Alex Smith would get some reps leading into Sunday. But if Dwayne Haskins mm-hmm. was on the field, that's all. I mean, Washington looks completely different. Yeah. And you got Philly, Jalen Hurts. They just knocked off the Saints. Was Jalen Hurts the real deal, or was that a byproduct of no tape on this young man? Like, what's mm-hmm. going to happen in their next matchup? You got the Giants play the Ravens. That's that middle game that I think is going to be tough for them. I think when he, um, I can't remember my guy. He went to Notre Dame. I can't call his name. Uh, the receiver. But when he had came over from the Seahawks, when he had his little issues, and he told him to leave practice, and then he changed the uh, offensive line coach. Like Joe Judge is really putting his stamp on this organization. And I think as much as we love sports. Time also applies to sports. So now mm-hmm. in week 15, we're seeing glimpses of what this Giants organization could look like under Joe Judge. And they've gotten better from where they were at the beginning yeah. of the season. And on the flip side, maybe some teams they've run up against have found some holes or suffered some injuries. Um, yeah. Do they have the talent to do it? Sure. But unfortunately, I just don't think that they're in control of their own destiny in this situation. Golden Tate is a wide receiver you're talking about. Yeah. Um, we talked about basketball. We've talked about football. What is it like? Again, back to MSGAM. You're covering hockey, right? You got to look at the Rangers. Is the NHL going to have a season? What is it going to look like as they're trying to figure out? I mean, I heard, I saw reports of a Canadian bubble and then an East bubble. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's made it even more difficult for them to make a decision because they're seeing all of these different ways that the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball have done it. And now they're trying to find the best system of all of those. What has it been like covering the NHL? And when do you expect the season to begin? So we have, excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. We have a tremendous NHL contributor that joins us every week, Anson Carter. We call him Ace. Long time NHL career, does much stuff with uh, not just MSG, but NBC Sports, covering all the hockey things. He keeps us up to snuff, Jamoke. We're so <laughs> thankful for him. And according to Anson, <laughs> we're looking at a mid January restart for the NHL. And the NHL is in the same position that every other league is in. Money is the solution and money is the problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're starting to talk about big picture losses if you can't figure out a way to get a season done. And I, you know, in this 2020 COVID era, I have more of an inner turmoil with the collegiate athletes playing as I as opposed to the pros. Um, these are adults. These are well-compensated individuals. They understand this season has influences on many seasons to come. Um, so what I understand in the NHL is that they're set for a January 15th restart. They are adding a franchise out in Seattle, and there has been some discussion of the, that ownership organization fronting some money to help this season go on because they would get, I believe, I don't remember the technical term, but they, they'll they get sort of a bonus for joining the league. And so mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so... The regional things, the bubbles, you're right. Canada still has its restrictions for COVID that are not the same as here in the U.S. So teams that play in Canada will have a Canadian bubble. Um, Each region has its own bubble, and they're going to figure out the best way to navigate and get through a season. So we're all watching. It's it's gonna it's gonna be tough. And and like you said, uh, talking about the college athletes, you play as well. Do you see yourself? 
if you were playing basketball for Georgetown again, do you see yourself wanting to play this season or would it have been difficult for you to maybe say, no, nah, I got to opt out? At 20, what was that, 18 and 21 on campus, 17 and 21 on campus? Here, there's no black and white on this. I think if the options are go to school, do your best to be safe, play the game you love, or go home and sit in the house for safety, I think I'm choosing to go to school and do the best I can and be with my yeah. teammates. Um, I am someone who does not have any underlying conditions, so I think I could make that decision. But I, I don't know, Jamoke. Like, it, I, there are. I actually heard. Mm, I'm blanking on my names. I follow him on Twitter. CBS Sports College Basketball. He has such a distinct voice. Uh, John Rothstein. Mm -hmm. I actually heard John Rothstein make it a point to acknowledge the amount of games that we've actually successfully had um, and the percentage of games that are going on. Yeah, we seem to get notes across the bottom line or the ticker that various blue blood or well-known programs are having to shut down because of COVID, but there is still a lot of basketball being played. Mm -hmm. um, and we think back to what Coach K had to say, while <laughs> there were cynical folks, including Nate Oates, that said that had a lot to do with winning. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was that simple. You know, I, I just don't think it was that simple for, for Coach K. And, and I will say that my takeaway from that was, well, if you're okay sending your guys home to the various places, I'm assuming more than two different places that they live in this country, you also understand that you're opening a Pandora's box and they could come back test positive and you've got to shut down more times than you had planned, right? Yeah. So yeah. to me, I almost wish that if Coach K was going to take a stance, that he had just pulled his team in terms of competition this year. But yeah. again, I am not naive. <laughs> money is the solution and money is the problem. Money is everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> money is everything. Uh, I, I, I would be remiss if we don't end the segment talking about probably, arguably, the best NBA team in the other borough of Brooklyn. Yeah, okay, let's do it. Oh, boy. Uh, can, <laughs> can the Nets win the NBA championship with their current roster, assuming everybody's healthy throughout the season? The X factor in this conversation for me is actually Mike D'Antoni. Mm. Steve Nash, tremendous player, first-year head coach. We've seen some other tremendous players be first-year head coaches, and it didn't quite pan out, right? Um, Kevin Durant, actually preseason against our former team that we both worked, covered. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He looked tremendous. Like, KD, is, he's generational-type talent for sure. Kyrie, in that same conversation, but just by virtue of his size, a little less impressive. Mm -hmm. um, there's obviously a lot to stir over in Barclays, and I think Mike D'Antoni has the most success in his role Right? Yeah, KD's won a championship, but again, like, KD's always done it in tandem. Uh, Kyrie mm -hmm. did it in tandem. Um, of the two of them, KD seems to be the easier going star and willing to take a back seat. Um, I, you know, I, we have Steve Novak as a contributor. He has not been impressed with how the Bucks look so far in preseason. They're still gelling in many ways. I think about Miami and a team that is just doggedly tenacious and has so much grit. Um, the Celtics, a team that were right there. Katie certainly is a game changer to me. 
but you've got a two-time MVP and defensive player of the year in Milwaukee. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You've got somebody that should be in MVP conversations in Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Max Deal, taking the next step in his game. Are they a favorite? I think so. But this year, as unique as it is, I think we will see how much the internal condition of a team plays into all of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and we like to say, roll the balls out, y'all the ball players, just rise up and play. But I, uh, I, don't, I don't know, Jamal. Okay? Like, they should, they should be favored, yes. Yeah. Um, they certainly have an incredible depth in terms of talent. But some, some, there's, there's more to it to me. Mm-hmm. There's just more to it. And so that, I'm, that's actually one of my favorite storylines to watch in the league this year, what pans out there. We're all pawns. According to Kyrie. You know? And see, the thing with Kyrie, and I know I'm not going to hold you too long. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually defended him this summer. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I totally understand why he would say, let's not go play. In this moment where we are mm-hmm. having conversations flat out everywhere, all over the place, about the racial issues and injustices in this country, right? Mm-hmm. I totally understood why he would say, let's not allow the country to escape by watching our games, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, if you're going to be a guy who thinks differently, sees things differently, and is willing to share that, then you got to take what comes with it. To me, mm-hmm. he should feel vindicated by the fact that we had a pause across all leagues after the shooting of Jacob Blake. To me, he should look at a guy like Colin Kaepernick, who lost his position in the NFL, but stood firmly on what he believed was right in the moment called for. If yeah. you are driven by that level of passion then you got to catch everything that comes with it, whether it's right or wrong. So mm-hmm. I don't think that insulting the media it helps your cause. No. And if you decide that you no longer want to speak, that is certainly your right to do so. But I think back to a guy like Marshawn Lynch, who never said nothing but had a gracious way of going about it. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you on that. He's Especially if you want to stand on any platform and talk about racial injustice and support, you know, you know, the supporting of the WNBA when they were in the bubble, like, then your voice needs to be heard. And the media is the way to do that. Not the opposite. Not the opposite. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Monica. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jamoke. It's good to see you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. And we have to do this again. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you. All right. right. Bye-bye. Bye. Monica McNutt, everybody of MSG AM, had a great conversation with her. Uh, You learned a lot, right? We were in that New York state of mind and we covered everything. We covered NBA, NFL, NHL, Knicks, Nets, Bills, Jets. What am I I'm doing like a nursery rhyme here? But uh, I had a great, great conversation. We'll definitely have to have her on again. All right, coming up, we've got family time. And my, Bo, just put them on. I don't even know who's on right now. Is it just my dad? My dad's joining me for family time. Hi, dad. How you doing? I'm good. You're Thanks. good? Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, my brothers don't love me anymore. I know, dad. <laughs> but thank you. As long as I have, as long as I have you on the show, then let's go on with family time. We've got a some big matchups coming up this weekend. Uh, the first one that we'll talk about is Southampton versus Manchester City in the Premier League. And I am surprised that Southampton is still up there near the top. What are your thoughts on the games? Yeah, surprise, uh, Southampton in the top four. I mean, they got a good squad. I mean, they got some some top-flight players, and uh, they've been playing well. Um, I watched the game the other day, and uh, yeah, 
he did very good against uh, Leicester, Leicester City there. So um, I guess the game's at City. Yes. Yeah, so I would favor City in this instance, but uh, Southampton's going to give them a, a, tough, a tough go for it. I like Southampton's squad, but I think uh, City with Aguero back and with that front that they have, uh, Sterling, and I don't know who he's, if he's going to start a girl or bring him off the bench, but with De Bruyne and, um, God, excuse me, Gabriel Jesus, I would favor City in this instance. So uh, there you have it. Although um, Southampton is a very skilled team. I like Roy Prowse, their uh, free kick taker on set pieces. Very good, very good. Southampton. A few more goals. People might be mentioning him in the class with uh, Bended Like Beckham or whatever. Oh, wow. Now that, that's a hot take right there. Right. Uh, Southampton won the last game, 1-0. It was in July, though. July 2020, they beat Manchester City 1-0. They're both coming off of draws, 1-1 uh, Southampton versus Arsenal and Man City versus West Brom. On the season so far, Southampton's in the third position. Manchester's in the eighth. Southampton's won seven. Manchester City has won five. When I look at this game here, and when you look at the odds, you can take Southampton at plus 575, or the tie at plus 360, or Manchester City at minus 215. Who are you taking? Man, those odds. Uh, uh, okay, Man City. Man City at minus 215. Mm. All right, Dad said Manchester City at minus 215. Let's go to the next game, Tottenham Hotspurs versus Leicester City. And I just want to say, I thought Tottenham was going to win that game. Yeah, uh, it was They're, moving in that direction. I mean... They had uh, multiple. What happened teams. against Liverpool? Say it again. What happened against Liverpool? I just. Yeah. I mean, Mourinho had it going his way. Harry Kane mixed that, missed that header off the, uh, that, you know, kick, corner kick, I think it was. Yeah. And, uh, man, a tough loss. Firmino came through in the end off a corner kick, and that was a tremendous header. So, yeah. Best team won, Liverpool. So now Tottenham is going up against Jamie Vardy in Leicester City. The last time they played each other, the Spurs won 3-0 over Leicester City. How do you see this game going? You got Tottenham at plus 108, the tie at plus 245, Leicester City at plus 260. Yeah. Um, I would favor the Spurs in this one, even though they had this uh, tremendous battle in Liverpool midweek. The schedule is demanding. I mean, it's really tough. Now, hopefully, hopefully, I mean, I would think they, they may want to go to five subs, but, I mean, game after game, you know, not much rest. So, at any rate, they have to show up, and I would favor the Spurs. Favoring the Spurs, they're both coming off of losses. The Spurs lost to Liverpool, as we mentioned, uh, 2-1, and Leicester City lost to Everton 2-0. Uh, those are the big games. That, any other games you want to talk about? Chelsea's playing West Ham, but West Ham has been playing good, 
good as well. They're in the yeah, top yeah. ten, and I didn't expect yeah. that. I expect them to be outside of the top ten. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed. <laughs> Chelsea's at no. minus two thirty. The tie at plus three ninety. West Ham at plus five seventy five. Chelsea seems to be heading in the wrong direction in my mind. And the game is at Chelsea. Yeah. It's kind of sort of a, a London derby. Both of them, uh, you know, are in London. Uh, I would favor Chelsea in this one. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll take Chelsea. All right, <laughs> let, let's end this family time talking about the Washington – what the Washington football team. I am just amazed at how well they are playing. Uh, you know, I just – I don't know what to say. The defense yeah. has been amazing. Chase Young has is a star. I mean, you know, that's why they took him, what, two, number two in the draft. But I just never expected this team to be at the, in, in the top of the NFC East. Can can they win the division? I guess the football guards are smiling on them at this point. Them and Alex Smith. <laughs> yeah, uh, They could, yes. They could win the division. I mean, you know, become uh, – the East champions, that would be amazing. But, yeah, of course they got, you know, the Seahawks this weekend at home, and uh, that doesn't bode well. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, I think they could win the division. The last Seahawks game I remember was RG3 against okay. Russell Westbrook in the playoffs. That'll be a good right. one. It should be a good one this weekend. Thanks, I Dad. haven't looked at the schedule. Do they get the Giants again? Uh, do they get the Giants again? Oh my gosh, hold on. I had the schedule up here shortly. The Giants, uh, play no, they don't play the Giants again. They get the Eagles again, they get the they get the Eagles again. Washington football team, hold on. I'm getting there if I can get to it. Daggone it, this is taking too long. Okay. Uh, Seahawks, Panthers, and at the Eagles to end the season. Oh, at the Eagles. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's going to be a tremendous that's, game. That will be. Jalen yeah. Hurt versus, as much as I hate to say it, Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. Be prepared. Well. That might be how the Washington football team ends the season, the way they began the season with Dwayne right. Haskins. Maybe he has matured. Beyond the years that we ever expected, having to sit there and watch Kyle Allen play one game and get hurt, and then Alex Smith take over from there. Maybe he's learned something. Who knows? Maybe he has. Maybe, Maybe he has. has. All right. Thanks, Dad. I appreciate it. Okay. Enjoy the Thank games you. this weekend. I'm sure right. we'll be we'll be chatting and texting and all that stuff. Because right. a lot of action. We'll soccer games coming up over the next uh, whatever it is. Tell oh, the yeah. end of the year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. All right, Dad. Talk to you okay. later. All right. Boy, we've had a packed show. Yes. Uh, by the way, I'm sorry. Fred Payne, please, I know it's crazy I'm going to say this. Please, you know, my bad. I wasn't looking at the chat. You know, Fred Payne had a bunch of messages for me earlier about the NFL, and I just wasn't paying attention. But I'm going to pay attention now. And then I noticed Brittany Zamora said, Monica's awesome. She was awesome. She was awesome. All right. So I said I would talk college basketball again with Bo here. Um, and I first want to say I'm just excited that Keontae Johnson is actually doing better after collapsing in that Florida-Florida State game. Uh, we got some good matchups coming up. Number three, Iowa, at number one, Gonzaga. And you know what, Bo? I'm calling it. Iowa will be the number one team in the country by the time Monday rolls around. 
Garza is amazing. Luka Garza is amazing. Take everything I have to say and just put it out like that. <laughs> Go ahead, Mo. I'm with you there. Look, Gonzaga is good. We've talked about them plenty, you know, a few weeks ago. But we haven't talked about them in a few weeks. And why is that? They haven't been playing. They've had COVID issues. They've been shut down. This is going to be their first game back and since that uh, West Virginia game, I think. Um, almost two and a half weeks here. And Iowa, like you said, <laughs> they're really good. You know, they're number three in the country right now. They're leaning heavily on Luka Garza, but you look at the depth that that team has, they're the perfect example of what happens with a college basketball team when guys come back, mm-hmm. continue to come back. You have Jordan Bohannon, you have Luka Garza. Both of them probably could have looked at the league last year. Garza, obviously, a much more um, sought-after prospect than uh, than Jordan Bohannon. But Bohannon, still a great guard. He can shoot the ball. You have um, – uh, McCaffrey, Fran McCaffrey's son, the coach's son, um, another good three-point shooter. They're deep offensively, and they can score the basketball. Gonzaga, very good offensively, but like I said, they're going to be rusty coming back. I really think that if this gets into a shootout down the stretch, Luca Garza can make a real big impact. It's going to be a really great matchup between him and Drew Timmy, the center for Gonzaga. Again, another good shooting big man. Those two are going to put up some fireworks. I I'm looking forward to watching that game, and as you mentioned, seeing Gonzaga try to come back from um, you know a, kind of a, a self-imposed right, a self-imposed shutdown that they said, "Hey, we can't play right now." I just I don't know. It's 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 a tough season, and I think in many ways that's where it's going to end up just being that just. Hey, this this is where we are. This is what we're doing. As Monica mentioned, well, she didn't say this completely, but that's where I feel like in many ways it was something that Coach K should have said at the beginning of the season. Hey, we're probably just not gonna play right now. It's just yeah. not the time for us to play. Uh, well, we've got. He also did come out and then you know cancel the rest of their non-conference schedule. I think they were scheduled to play two more games. Mm-hmm one before uh, their game last night against Notre Dame and one between now and their next game, which will actually be on the 29th of December at Cameron hosting Pittsburgh. Should be an interesting one there. It's <laughs> Coach Capel returns to Cameron. Yeah. Should be an interesting one. But, I mean, you look at the lineup for college basketball games that are happening this week. I really liked how Monica also brought up, um, you know, Rothstein's point that he tweets out every morning. Um, along with his stay hungry, stay humble reminder is, you know, he, he does a percentage tally of the Division One basketball teams that are still going, that are still up and operating. And I think this morning we're at 91%. So always great to check that out because we do have a great slate of games tonight, Thursday, tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday. You like football, you like football on Saturday? Give me college basketball every day of the week. Oh, college basketball every day. And I mean, the weird thing is you talk about uh, teams having the shuffle. North Carolina and Kentucky are playing and then Ohio State and UCLA are playing, although they were supposed to be switched and they switched opponents, um, which is okay, whatever. Originally, Kentucky was going to play UCLA. There was some sort of confusion between the ACC and the Big Ten when it came to testing protocols and some sort of thing like that. So Ohio State and UNC were like, hey, all right, let's just switch opponents. 
We'll take UCLA. You can have Kentucky. I think North Carolina got the better end of the deal there. Kentucky, like we talked about here, they've struggled a little bit to start the season. UCLA has gotten a couple pieces back. Mick Cronin is a good team out there in Western. Yeah. Uh, and then another one that I know you're looking forward to staying with the ACC, number 17, Virginia, versus number seven, Villanova, who used to be a rival of Pitts when they were in the Big East, but not a rival anymore, but still a good game. Yeah, should be an interesting one. Virginia is, again, kind of a slow start to the season. They had the loss to San Francisco. They've kind of struggled to find the rhythm offensively. I think people thought that they were going to take a huge leap this year, bringing in Sam Hauser, the transfer from Marquette, who plays tonight against uh, Seton Hall. Should be another good game tonight. They're four-point favorites there. Um, but Sam Hauser, you know, was supposed to be that shooting threat for Virginia that allowed them to open up the offense, rely a little bit less on Kihei Clark. It just hasn't quite clicked yet. Tony Bennett will have them um, going eventually. It will be interesting to see whether Jay Wright can get win number 601 after getting win number 600 against Butler last night. It's weird not to see a single ACC team in the top five, and then you look and they're not even in the top 10. Not even in the top 10, at least according to the AP Top 25. But we also have number 23, Louisville, versus number 12, Wisconsin, the last game we'll touch on. Yeah, and I mean, this is a game, part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge, I don't know if it still is part of it because it was postponed yeah. uh, from two weeks or from last week, I guess, because of COVID. Um, this is going to be a good game. I think two interesting teams in Louisville and Wisconsin. Um, Louisville, they lost a decent amount to the draft um, with Jordan Nuora and um, one other guy whose name escaped me. Um, meanwhile, Wisconsin with Brad Davidson. They were supposed to be a top-10 team, and they lost to Marquette, who I just mentioned a few moments ago. So they're trying to kind of get back into it and compete there in the Big Ten with the Iowas and the Illinois of the world. So two teams with something to prove before they get into conference play in a few weeks, which Louisville will actually start against Pitt on the 22nd. Both both teams have, have won four of five, but Louisville has won four in a row, while Wisconsin has won two in a row. It's kind of pretty – um, another pretty significant layoff between games here. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, according to ESPN's Basketball Power Index, Wisconsin has a 73.5% chance of winning, so we will see. Thank you, Bo. Yeah. I appreciate it. By the way, some, some breaking news here that I just got. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist will not play this season for the oh. Cowboys due to a heart condition. What? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, we'll have to get into NHL because NHL is going to be starting soon. So I we're just, definitely I got the I got like the email today with the um, the different championship odds futures. We'll have to take a look at that because there's okay. Some, there's All right. So we promise to do that on Monday. We'll do some NHL talk on Monday. Although I feel like some people would probably say that goes into the sports you don't care about. Possibly, possibly. Devil's advocate, and I don't know if this segment is really something that I am going against the grain here, but the story came out yesterday that the NCAA says that Division I athletes that transfer will be able to play immediately. For all sports, 
a blanket waiver. You can play immediately. Now, the issue with me for that is it's good that players can suit up that transferred and but uh caroline lee in the espn story vice president of the division one student athlete advisory committee said quote we are thrilled at the passing of the blanket waiver as we believe it is in line with division one saac ensuring that all of our student athletes have the best opportunity to to thrive both academically and athletically in a time of great uncertainty amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, we feel is in our best interest to grant immediate eligibility for those who have transferred in order to best support their mental health and well-being. I get that and I appreciate it. Memphis's DeAndre Williams can play, Butler's Bo Hodges, Xavier's Ben Stanley, Notre Dame's Trey Wirtz, to name some. The issue for me is it's too it's been too long. This should have already been something that we allow athletes to play when they transfer. Maybe not, okay, if today somebody said they want to transfer, okay, I can play tomorrow, although somebody's going to find some way to find a loophole if they really wanted to. But my thing is in when you look at all of the coaches who have done to players, oh, I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm staying. No, I'm out, right? That's happened so often that it's unfair for a player to have to sit out a year. Never made sense to me. Never made sense to me. And I hope that this isn't just a COVID rule change and that they're going to keep it in place for all for eternity, forever. If you your coach left, maybe you don't get along with the coach when, you know, hey, all coaches put on their best face when they're talking to the parents and say, yeah, I would love, you know, please let your kid come and play for me. But then they get there and they're a different type of person than maybe the the coach who you, how you presented yourself in front of the player's parents. I understand, you know, look, you know, coach has to fire up his players, got to, you know, stay on them, light a fire under them. But it doesn't change the fact that if a player just doesn't like necessarily the way a coach is treating their child, then that child should be able to say, hey, I'm out. I'm out. And, you know, at least one mea culpa. You shouldn't be able to change teams two and three times each year, but at least you should get one opportunity to say, hey, it's not working out with this coach or this program or that coach left. I want to go somewhere else. So I hope that the NCA isn't just doing this for COVID and that they're going to, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, they're going to make a change. So the other problem, the other problem with this, yeah, is still not all inclusive, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, it took so long to get here in the first place. There were, you mentioned like three or four guys. I think there were something close to maybe seven or eight, you know, real notable D1 basketball players that this affected, of course. I mentioned, you know, the one player at Pitt. There's a couple of those. But this doesn't include transfers from D3 programs to Mm -hmm. schools. So, again, this is another, you know, not quite as much of a half measure as we're used to from the NCAA, but this is still not far enough from the NCAA, from the governing body of collegiate athletics. And it's something that, like you said, I think really needs to be addressed going forward in how they reform this rule. I, I hope I hope so. I hope so. Uh, because there's there's a lot at stake 
when a player says, I want to leave. And some may say, well, it's kind of unsavory if, you know, they're getting money under the table, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to get into that. Bottom line, if a player wants to leave, they should be allowed to leave. So uh, last segment, sports you don't care about. I don't know if I'm going to get to story time. Oh, my gosh, I got story time and my trivia question. Sports you don't care about. So I saw this tweet, first from The Athletic. Says there, there has been no year in sports like 2020 over the last few weeks. Over the next few weeks, we'll look back at the biggest moments. To start things off, let's vote on the best and brightest sports moments of the year. Then I saw a tweet from Avish Sud who says, Stop ignoring women's sports. It's unacceptable to make a list like this and exclude the WNBA in NWSL. Now, I'm not going to claim to know much about the NWSL. I know that some very talented soccer players play there. And I had on, you know, my devil's advocate talking about equal pay for the women's soccer team playing in the Olympics and for the national team. But I looked at these best sports moments from the athletic and I said, okay, well, what are you going to take off to put the WNBA? You've got the last dance versus Phillips walk-off. You've got Brady to Tampa versus Ng being the Marlins GM. You've got the L.A. Dodgers World Series versus Zion's NBA debut and Osaka and the U.S. Open winner versus the NBA bubble on one side. On the other side, you got the Lakers win the title versus Ovechkin's 700th goal. Alex Smith's Washington football team return versus Liverpool's EPL title. The Chiefs Super Bowl, ver, ver, Super Bowl versus Lightning winning the cup. And then Kelly versus the Astros versus LSU's perfect 15-0 season. What do you take off? You don't take off the championships, so you can't do that. I love the last dance. I don't know if that considered that should be considered to be a sport moment. What? Because everybody was watching. I think in my tweet, I said Zion's NBA debut or Kelly versus the Astros should be off. And as I looked at it and thought about it, I realized, no, it's really the last dance that that should go. Everything else on here is about playing sports in a sports moment. Last dance, you got to go. You are the last one on my list that should be up there. And that should be where the Seattle Storm, Sue Bird winning her fourth title, they're also winning a title in the bubble. That's where I think you go. That's where I think you go. Uh, let's go to trivia. I'm going to skip story time. I'll save it for another day. All right, Bo, trivia. Which NCAA basketball team finished a game with one player? That is December 17th, Thursday, 2020. Can you guess? With one total player. One player. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind is that Colin Sexton game a few years ago with Alabama against Minnesota. But obviously they still have three players. Which college basketball team? Do I get like a mm, – no. You were born this year, I think. No, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not. No, I don't think so. Sorry, you weren't born this year. My bad. Um, uh, I'm going to go with a shot. I'm going to say like Indiana. Indiana. Uh, well, there. This this college is is a knights. There are knights. So you, I'll give you half a point because at least you say Indiana, right? Bobby Knight. I don't know. 
maybe that, like, that's too much of a stretch. In a strange game on January 8th, 1982, the West Coast Christian College Knights outlasted the University of California at Santa Cruz Sea Lions, 75 to 67. The injury plagued Knights suited up only eight players. Seven WCCC players fouled out, leaving guard Mike Lockhart to face five Sea Lions with a 70-57 lead in 2-10 to play. Lockhart, who had four fouls, weaved around Cal Santa Cruz players, drew fouls, and sank five of six from the free throw line. With a 5-1 advantage, Cal Santa Cruz outscored the Knights by only 10-5. There you go. How do you inbound the ball? (laughs) Well, I guess he just stayed in bounds. I don't know, because if you stay in back, I don't know. You're right. You're right. That doesn't make sense. Santa Cruz makes a basket, then what happens? But I'm, I'm yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get. What was the team? We need more info, don't we? What was the we team? It was the West Coast Christian College Knights beating Cal at Santa Cruz. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do some digging on this. Yeah, <laughs> you do some digging. We got we got until Monday for the next show. Maybe we'll get back to it. All right, everybody, that'll do it for just for sport. I want to thank Monica McNutt of MSG AM for coming on the show. Had a great time with uh, talking all New York sports with her. Of course, we both come from the Washington area, so uh, we have an affinity for all Washington teams. Great to have her on, and I'll have her on again. We'll look for somebody to bring on the show on Monday. We will do a show Monday, and then we'll be off next Thursday. Of course, it's Christmas Eve. Then we may be off. I mean, next Thursday is Christmas Eve. Maybe we'll be off New Year's Eve as well. That's the following Thursday. Listen, everybody. One note. The answer to all your questions is money. And if you make money using the Props Network, I'm happy. We're happy. That'll do it for this episode of Just for Sports.